Well, with that, let's go before the Lord in prayer to start this off right. Lord, we thank you so much for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that you would continue to guide and direct us. We do pray for the technology that you would bind the hands of the enemy from it. It would be used to proclaim your word. And we pray that your word would be taught well this morning and that we would be growing in it, that we'd be discerners, Lord. Through your word of those that claim to be teachers and those that are your teachers. And we pray for that discernment in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, speaking of, there are charlatans, thieves, hypocrites out there, and many of them call themselves pastors. And today, when we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul is going to finally speak directly to the super apostles that we have been alluding to for the last few weeks throughout the book of 2 Corinthians, those that have been accusing him and saying that he was maybe an amateur apostle. He's going to do that by teaching the Corinthians. That's what he does. And we're going to see that the first century and the 21st century are exactly the same in this way. And so let's open up. Let's read verses 1 through 4 of chapter 11. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. Indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with, a God, with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Well, in this chapter, we're going to see Paul, and Paul's going to be a little sarcastic. And I, my wife is always reminding me when I talk to people that if I don't know them, I have to let them know that I'm being sarcastic up front because they don't know that I'm not serious about different things. Here, Paul is very serious, and he's going to say some things kind of off the cuff, and it's because he cares so much for the Corinthians. He says, bear with me with a little folly. He's saying it is silly. It is ridiculous that he has to even speak about himself or to make a defense for himself in the way that he is serving the Lord. And he's going to show us here right off the bat what the heart of a true pastor, a true minister, a true leader, a true apostle is all about. It's about bringing people closer to the Lord, serving the Lord. He says in verse 2, for I am jealous for you with a, with godly jealousy. When, when we're jealous, it's because we want something all to ourselves. We don't want to share it with anyone, and we're upset that somebody else has something that we want. God's jealousy is different. Redpath, Alan Redpath, he said that God's jealousy is love in action. He, he said God's jealousy is love in action. He refuses to share the human heart with any rival, not because he is selfish and wants us all for himself, but because he knows that upon that loyalty to him depends our very moral life. God is not jealous of us. He is jealous for us. The issue is that many wolves in thieves' clothing, these false preachers, are jealous for your butt in the seat. They're jealous for having you being popular or having a big fellowship. It's about them. The super apostles in Corinth were no different. Nothing has changed. Paul's heart is to present the bride of Christ, the church, the believers, to Christ the groom. 
That's what he says here. That godly jealousy that he has for them is that, quote, I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So let me talk to the dads here, the dads that have daughters. How do we think about our daughters as they're growing up, our protection for them? And of course, it's a a cultural joke, right? But when those young men start coming around our daughters, how do we feel? How do we protect them? We lead them. We encourage them. We want to strengthen. We want to provide them security. Everything is for blessing them. And then we want to present them to the groom on that wedding day, the father presenting his bride, his daughter. And we want it to be everything that we ever hoped it would be. And there are many marriages, there's many wedding ceremonies where there's a lot of fibbing going on because they're not being presented perfect, holy, just, pure. Now, we praise God for His grace, and all of us have a tremendous amount of grace. But Paul has that heart, that Father's heart, to present the church, us, brothers and sisters in Christ, to the Lord. It's about serving God. These super apostles... They're not in it for anything but themselves. With those that want to serve the Lord, our heart must be for Christ, for Jesus above all. It's unfortunate that the same thing that was happening in that day is happening in this day. Paul would write to another pastor, Timothy, and he would write in 2 Timothy chapter 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. Itchy ears. You know that itch that you have that you can't, you just have to scratch it, you can't help it. And people are drawn to people, to so-called pastors and leaders that are not drawing them closer to Christ. Now, I don't think I did a good enough job in the first service. I want to make sure I'm crystal clear here in the second service. This is not a matter of all popular pastors are bad, all big churches have bad leaders. That is not the case. No. It doesn't matter how many people are in that fellowship, whether it's five, 500, or 5,000. The number is not the issue here. It is the heart of that shepherd for Christ. Is he in it for himself or is he in it for the Lord? Because many people are going to popular leaders or popular pastors or ministries because they go there and it makes them feel good, makes them to feel a part of something special and this religious organization. And they do things in the name of Jesus. They do things in the church of God, but they are not Christians themselves. They may claim to be, but they're not in it for the groom. They're in it because they want the bride for themselves. Let's let's do a little exercise here, a little mental exercise. Think five pastors, five names that you can think of, of ministers in the church. Just think about them. Okay, They could be good. They could be bad. They could be anything in between. But now I want you to name five missionaries. Five missionaries, not the same accolades, not the same... Five deacons, five elders, five servants of Christ. Who are the disciples of the Lord? And we see that it's these popular preachers. Again, some may be great. Some, we may think they're great, but they're not. Paul's going to talk about them. 
This is about being closer and closer to our Lord Jesus Christ. When you are a part of that pastor's or you're a part of that ministry or you hear that sermon or you think about that person, when you are finished with that sermon, do you leave with a hunger and a desire to be closer to the Lord? Or do you think, man, I feel really good. That was great. That was really encouraging. Do you feel, man, I feel happier now. This is awesome. Or do you feel, I have a deep need and a desire to want to be around the Lord? Are they leading you and presenting you to Christ? That's Paul's desire. He has a godly jealousy for that. Or when you leave there, do you just have a good feeling? See, what are you judging pastoral ministry by? It's those itchy ears that will bring people and draw them away from true servants of the Lord. And who are you listening to? Who are you allowing to invest into your life? Because the Bible tells us about the servants of God, that these overseers are accountable and they watch over your souls. It's in Hebrews chapter 13, 17. It says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. My question is, do they? Do they? Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Do the people that are spiritually feeding you and drawing you closer to the Lord and discipling you, are they watching out for your soul? Because they have to make an account before Jesus Christ for the way that they were shepherding and leading. Do they watch over your soul? Do they know even know anything about you? Do they pray for you? Do they seek for your best? Or, or do they just want you in their chairs, tithing, giving that money? Are you just an amount on a graph? They just want you to buy their book. They want you to listen to their podcast. And they want to be popular and have a great, well-organized organization. You see, when a, when a servant of Christ stands before God, God is not going to be interested in how well the children's ministry ran or how the parking lot attendants work. He's not interested in what temperature we sent the sanctuary to. He's going to say, what did you do with my children? What did you do with my people who my son gave his life for? And you have to make an account. A real pastor, a real leader is an overseer of your soul, seeking what's the best for you. And he's not in it for himself. Now, Paul writes here, and again, here's that little bit of sarcasm, but he goes directly to them. He says, but I fear your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. That's what's written here. And that word in the Greek, simplicity, is also translated generosity. But another gospel. These guys were coming in and teaching something else. And they're preaching another Jesus. And then Paul, he's very direct. And what does he say there at the end of verse 4? you may well put up with it. Paul is saying, you guys are so dumb that you're following after these guys. You're, liter- you're believing what they say. You, you're, you're believing what's happening here. You, got, you guys are out of your mind. You've lost it. Stay close to Jesus. Now, now Paul's going to double down here when he says this. Let's read verses 5 through 11. For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. 
Even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. And in everything, I kept myself from being burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. Now, first and foremost... He, remember in verse 4, he says, you guys will put up with this. You guys will believe this nonsense. And then in verse 5, he says, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles. So the question is, what is he saying here? There are some who believe that when he says he's equal to the most eminent apostles, he's speaking of Paul, or excuse me, Peter and Barnabas. He's saying, hey, I'm, I'm there right there with the top apostles. And there's another camp that I'm in, a lot of scholars believe that what he's saying here is he is equal to the super apostles because he's being sarcastic here. In the Greek, this word uh, eminent apostles means super extra apostles. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm just at the same level of these extra super apostles. And that's where we get that term that I've been using over the last few weeks, Paul going against these super apostles that had come on the scene that were there in Corinth. I want to remind you, these are teachers in the church of Corinth. That's going to be important when we get to the end of this section. Now, these teachers were saying they were better than Paul because Paul was an amateur. That's what we're saying. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. This is the Paul who saw Jesus Christ face to face on the road to Damascus. This is the Paul who Jesus said, you are my chosen vessel to go into the world and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But these super apostles came in and said, no, he's not the real deal. He's just a good start. He's an amateur. So much so, so much so that Paul is, again, he's being sarcastic. He said, what, did I sin because I wouldn't take money from you guys? That's ridiculous. See, the Corinthians' mindset had been so messed up They thought that only the professional orators, only those that had the outside illusion, the well-taught speakers of that day, were the real pastors, the real leaders, the real apostles. And Paul was just unlearned, cheap, amateur guy. We know that when Paul was in Corinth, he was a tent maker, a worker of leather. In Acts chapter 18, verse 1 through 3, it says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome, and he came to them. So, because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And so, Paul would work all day. In the middle of the day, during the siesta time of the Mediterranean, he would preach. People would come to him, and he'd, they, he'd teach them about the Bible. And then he would have the weekend, which there are no weekends in the Roman Empire. There's no Sabbath on Saturday. They're not in Israel. 
But they would come there and they would worship either on Saturday if they were in the synagogue. When they got kicked out of the synagogue, they worshiped on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, was the custom. That's what the Bible tells us, which was their custom, the day that Jesus rose from the grave. And so we meet on the first day of the week in rest. We begin our work week in rest. There he was teaching and drawing people closer to the Lord. He didn't want to take anything from the Corinthians. Remember, the Corinthians were rich. They were the Hilton head of that day. That's where business was. That's where people vacationed. That's where the orations were. That's where the Ithamus games were. That's where the market was and the transportation hub. Remember, the Macedonians from the north, they were the poor agrarian, the rural area. It's going to be important here in a little bit. And so they had all this money, but Paul says, I don't want any of it. I don't want you guys to give me anything. Because so either they refused to give him money, or he said, I don't want to take it because it's a stumbling block. But Paul spoke about this when he wrote 1 Corinthians in chapter 9, this direct issue. He said, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife as as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Catholics do not like that verse. It doesn't go with their doctrine very well. Verse 6. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reach your material things. And so if you want to hear about whether or not a pastor should be paid and what they should be paid, I I highly recommend you go back. Um, We have it online, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We address that specifically. Today, we're speaking about the heart of a true pastor, a true leader of Christ, who's seeking after God to honor God and bring people closer to Christ against those that claim to be Christian, claim to be teachers, claim to be leaders, and they are not. Paul is showing them that he is willing to sacrifice himself. It is not for his personal gain to share the gospel. And they think that because this is not the professional style they're used to, that somehow he's an amateur. You know, what else did he say here in these verses? He said in verse 8, 100% sarcastic, I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. He he didn't take anything. You see, the Macedonians were giving him, he he wrote that there in verse 9 towards the end, who came from Macedonia supplied. So those that didn't have that much, they were offering to, to Paul, hey, we want to support the ministry to the Corinthians. Man, they really need it. They really need that outreach. And Paul was going out of his way in giving of himself to teach and to lead because it's not about the man. It's not about the minister. They are just the best man at the wedding. They just stand up there and they bring the bride along. 
Bring them to the groom. That's it. Stay out of the way. So many leaders, they are only thinking about themselves. They're only preaching themselves. They're only talking about themselves. If their name is the biggest thing on the book, don't buy it. Just put it back on the shelf. This is about Christ. And Paul has a heart to share, not for his own gain, but theirs. Paul could go anywhere. He doesn't have to deal with the Corinthians. Who cares about the Corinthians? He's planting churches all over the Mediterranean. Why don't you just stay in Macedonia where they take care of you and they listen to you, Paul? Because Paul's not in it for himself. He is jealous for them with a godly jealousy. He wants them to draw closer to the Lord. He will not abandon his children in the faith. He's not being led by the popularity or the polls. He's not being led by building organizations. He has a heart for Jesus Christ and to bring other people into a deeper relationship with Christ. That's it. That's it. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, he is going to directly speak about them, verses 12 through 15. But what I do, I will also continue to do, that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, It is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. You hear what he's saying here? He's not talking about ungodly hordes. He's not talking about the cults. He's not talking about the Roman army or the Roman leaders. He is saying in the church, in the house of God, There are men that call themselves pastors, and they are children and servants of Satan. And he's not writing this from afar off. You guys remember in the previous chapter? Oh, yeah, Paul, he's so tough in his letters. And Paul says, I'm on my way down there, and I will say what I have written to their face. He's going to come into the church. Boy, if I could be a fly on the wall. The day that Paul rode up, walked up to the church in Corinth, found these apostles and said, you are a minister of Satan. Get out. You guys, you guys, it's in the church. There are Christians today, so-called Christians, wolves in sheep's clothing that call themselves pastors. They have ministries. They may have a cross behind them when they preach. They may have Christian in their title. They may talk about Jesus. They are not only not saved, they're not Christians. They are ministers of Satan, and they may not even know it. And Paul says, I'm not marveling at this. Satan himself can transform himself into an angel of light. And Paul has had enough of it. That's why he wrote this here. And it's kind of a tongue twister when it's translated in English. That I may cut off the opportunity. He said, I'm done with these guys having this opportunity. From those who desire 
an opportunity to be regarded just as we are. Loosely translated, he's saying, I am done with these guys talking and trying to be apostles like we are. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. I've had enough of it. And that's when he goes into saying, they are ministers of Satan. In the church, in the church, deceivers. For such are, verse 13, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. And that's when he goes all in, verse 15, Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers, that's Satan's ministers, also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. Who, who are you following? Who are you watching online? What podcast are you listening? What books are you reading? Well, this is a great Christian book. Is it? Is it? Remember, a true servant is going to watch after your soul and has to make an account before God for what he's teaching and how he's bringing the gospel, how he disciplines, how he encourages. And the ultimate motivation is that they can present you as a chaste virgin, as someone who is walking in integrity and purity and bringing them to the Lord Jesus Christ. To hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the grace of the Lord. Well done. That's what I'm after. Serving after the Lord. I never saw this. When I grew up, when I grew up, I was taught that all pastors and ministries were hypocrites, liars, thieves, deceitful. Well, they were mostly right. My family was mostly right until I met my pastor. When I was picking on his kids and I was their school bully, and they preached the gospel to me in the way that they taught it. I went to their church and found out that their dad was the pastor, and he was authentic, and he was real. And he just loved Jesus and wanted people to know the Lord and to, to be in the Word of God. My pastor's got deep roots in the Calvary movement. He, he's friends with most of the famous big guys with the big churches. And he'd tell me, you know, they got big churches because they are in a big, big pond, big fish. A lot of people, bigger church, smaller and for 30 years, he's continued to serve in the same small town year after year after year without accolades, without names, because that's where God placed him. He make an account of people's souls. And when I, when I interacted with someone that really believed what they believed, and I knew that he wasn't in it for himself, and it just shattered those misconceptions because many Leaders, so-called Christian leaders, are in it for themselves. You give them a raise, they're going to the church down the street. They go into a job fair and they try and select what career is best for them. It's about where God has placed you. If you're a servant of Christ, whether it's Corinth or Macedonia or Tibet, Nepal, South America, down the road, Lompoc, California, Bluffton, South Carolina... Where has God placed you, and do you care about God's people? No, the Bible has always said, always said that there would be false teachers within the church, that there would be wolves in sheep's clothing. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, it says, Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. 
to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. If you're a servant here or a leader in Christian ministry, you need to memorize that verse. But he continues, For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among you yourselves men will rise up, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. I am as enraged as you are when I hear about some guy on TV or on the internet who's speaking to some poor widower who's living on Social Security, paying $36 for 12 eggs, $17 a gallon for gas, whatever it is out there right now, and she is scraping every penny and she puts it in the mail to send to some charlatan who tells her, oh, well, you just give that money and God's going to give you $1,000. He's going to double it. That guy is a minister of Satan, and he does it in the name of Christ. I fear for him when he's before the Lord if he's a believer. Otherwise, there's another destination for him. But the Lord told us that was always going to be the, the case. Who are you seeking after? You know, the Bible tells us that other people were going to come behind claiming to be false apostles. They're going to be false apostles. They're going to claim to be Christ. They're going to claim to be leaders. In fact, Jesus told us that in Matthew 24, 24, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Speaking about the end of days. The Bible tells us here that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. How many cults and false religions were founded because a man heard from an angel? Mormonism, he either made it up or he actually had an angel talking to him. The angel, quote, Moroni. Muhammad, quote, spoke and received the Quran from the angel Gabriel. But if they come and they preach another gospel, they're from Satan deceiving, and they have deceived millions, if not billions, from the truth of God's Word. And they are in the church. They're in the church today, and we need to be discerners and ask ourselves, who are we allowing to speak into our lives the Word of God? Are they really after your soul? Are they really protecting you and encouraging you and drawing you closer to the Lord? Am I closer to Jesus Christ because of this ministry? Or am I being led away by my itchy ears? He makes me feel good. He makes me feel intelligent. He makes me feel wise. He makes me feel better than everyone else. He makes me feel more religious. If you don't leave there with a deeper desire for Christ, then what are you doing there? And if that person doesn't care for you at all, there's some issues you got to ask. Now, that remember, I said very early on, that doesn't mean that some guy with 10,000 people in his fellowship is a false Christ, is a false pastor, is not a believer. He could be wholly on fire for the Lord, and his word will be taught and empowered by the, by the Lord. And when you receive and you hear that, you grow in your desire to follow after Christ and praise God for it. But there are others who have the form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And it's only about man and about organizations and ministry in production. There is a, a story that was in several commentaries preparing for this message. 
And it tells about this dinner party, probably the 1800s. If not, let's make it up. And they're at this dinner party, and there's a lot of different people there. There's some, you know, leaders, and there's some actors, and some businessmen are all there. And they decided to go around the table and share. And there's a, a professional actor there, and he reads Psalm 23. And he reads it eloquently and with emotion and power and kind of acting it out. And everyone was stunned. It was amazing. They go around a little bit more, and a man gets up. And he simply reads Psalm 23. And the whole table was in complete shock. Later, the actor would approach that man that read Psalm 23, and he said, I know the psalm, but you know the shepherd. And that's the key. There are some that can act it out. They can teach it. They can share it. And you can say, oh, wow, that's amazing. That's powerful. What a professional. But do they know the shepherd? Are they a follower of Christ? Will they lay down their lives for their friends? Will they deny themselves and follow after Christ? And that's the key. Are you growing closer to the Lord? And are you following and in, with people that are doing the same? So who are you following? Who are you listening to? Who are you encouraging? Who are you sharing? Do they watch over your soul? Do they care about your eternal destination? Do they care about you being reunited with Christ and following closer to the Lord? Are they a servant of Christ or are they a servant of the crowd? Are they self-seeking? Are they promoting themselves? Or are they drawing you closer to the groom? Do they teach the simplicity of the gospel, the generosity of the gospel? Or are they teaching another gospel? Do they have the appearance in form of godliness but are missing the substance of godliness? The relationship, do they know the shepherd? Now, next week, Paul's going to go, he's going to go in even more. I said next week. I said next week, first service too. After Resurrection Sunday, we're going to come back to 2 Corinthians, and he's going to double down. He's going to go even deeper into talking about this and explaining this as he finishes the chapter. Let's go before the Lord. Lord, we want to be authentic. We want to follow people that are authentic. We want to be used by you. We want to be prepared to meet you and grow in you. We want to have the discipline of you. And we pray what John the Baptist prayed, Lord, less of us and more of you. Not self-seeking, but you seeking. We pray that you would have your way in us and that you would teach us and direct us. Help us to filter through the nonsense in the church, the enemies who claim to be your followers, Lord. Help us to be a discerner. We know that your word will do that as it is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I pray that we would grow in you and be used by you and that your will would be accomplished in us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we have brothers and sisters up here to pray with you. There's also some coffee cups in the back. They're, they have a suggested donation of $5, but if you don't have that, just take one. God bless you and have a wonderful week.